Welcome to the Wake and Rake podcast. My mind, you just wake up and go rake. Featuring World Series champion Will Middlebrooks. High drive, deep left field for Middlebrooks. Back and that is gone. Third home run of the day for Will Middlebrooks. The trifecta has the Red Sox on top, nine to nothing. And MLB journalist Danny Vietti. Vietti here. He's a yeah, right-handed pitcher. He's six five. So you were right. Thinking he's tall. He is. Pretty tall. You're from Cottonwood, California. Cottonwood, California. I don't know where I, that is. I don't know where that is either. Want a chance to be featured on the show? Follow at Wake and Rake Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I'm kind of a big deal. Here's Danny and Will. What is good, party people? You are looking swagalicious today, Will Brooks. Uh, that's a Mauricio Dubon. Oh, shirt you are rocking today, and I yeah, need to well, get my hands on one. A white and gray camo. Yeah, uh, he has a. I was telling you this before, but he has a Miami uh, Knights version of that same exact shirt. Basically, it's pink, black. It's it's got that yeah. camo design on it, but it's the black and pink. It's got a little bit of flair to it. That's what I'm it's trying to so, get. So it's this is one of the most comfortable, like stretchy shirts. I'm not even selling it. He pays me nothing, but um, these shirts are legit. I think you got to order some. They're really good. Well, they're like seventy bucks a shirt. Is it worth it? I'll give you a discount code. Okay, okay, okay. I'll cut that out of this episode. I don't want people to know that. Mauricio, <laughs> du- and by the way, Mauricio Dubon, we were talking about this too earlier, was he's actually a Sacramento kid. So you tell Mauricio that I'm living in Sacramento, so he's got to give me that hometown discount. You let him know. We have a pretty laid back episode today. It's not going to be anything crazy for starters because there's not really anything happening right now in baseball, but we continue to be a man of the people and be men of the people, and we provide content for you. So you can thank us later. Before we get into the career of the great Will Middlebrooks, because that's basically what we're going to be focusing on. It's going to be a short episode. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I thought about it. I was like, I wonder if we did a a career episode on Danny Vietti. That might last a whole two minutes. It'd be like a commercial. We do the intro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If anybody wants to learn more about my career, you just slide my DMs. I could probably fit it into a single paragraph for you. But (laughs) before we get into it, quick update on the lockout. This is from Evan Drellich of The Athletic. MLB and MLBPA back on, what's today? This episode's coming out on a Thursday, so this would have been Tuesday. Uh, the owners and players were heated. Uh, they did discuss the manipulation of service time, the pre-arbitration bonus pool that they've been discussing. They're still pretty far apart. So right now, and this is according to Jeff Passan of ESPN, he said that the start time for spring training is in question, and that's of course now that goes without saying concerning spring training and pitchers and catchers are supposed or were scheduled to start two weeks from today that's yeah. not going to happen and i'll say not this happening. and i'll kind of give you the floor after i say this that doesn't scare me at all i know everybody's concern level is increasing as opening day is getting closer and closer but to me spring training is already a little bit too long bingo if, if, if we cut out two three weeks of spring training we're fine guys we're fine totally it's just the, the biggest thing is for the pitchers. I think the, the everyday players, the, the position players, they're going to get their at-bats. They're going to get their timing. They'll get 40 at-bats. They'll be good to go. I feel like 40 is a good number uh, from, from when I was playing. If I could get to 40 at-bats in spring training, I was normally pretty good timing-wise. My body felt good, and I was ready to go without overdoing it. Uh, but pitchers just have to be able to ramp up. So they're going to have to start. They have to start now. They have to start now just hoping that spring training starts at the end of February. That like pitchers and catchers. Yeah. Now games aren't going to be able to start at the at early March. That's totally fine. If they play twenty games instead of thirty, 
in spring training, that's fine. If they play 15 games, it's going to be okay. Just don't cut into the season. That, that's where we – you don't want to cut games out. Now, I, I think I'd be okay with a 140-game season, but that's for a whole other episode down the road we can talk about. But um, I just don't want guys – because then you have to start looking at, like, prorated money, and we get into issues with guys not making as much money as they're supposed to and this and that. And anytime it has to do with money, well, that's why we are where we are right now because of money and the CBA and free agency and all that. But that's going to add an extra layer to it if they have to figure out what guys are making if we miss games. So hopefully we get all 162 in. I think it, I, I, I'm still pretty optimistic that we don't miss many games, if any at all. Yeah, I am too. I, I'm not. We talked with Hannah Kaiser and she said her concern, concern level is increasing, but we should be okay, at least for now. Um, it's increasing, but I, I, I too am optimistic. I share those same well, sentiments. The last two meetings between the sides went really smoothly. They're they were, meeting. They're meeting at least. They you were know what I mean? due to disagree. This is what they do. They, they are, are there on polar opposite sides of what they want. This yeah. is going to happen. This is part of negotiation. Now, as long as they're making progress, as long as they're not waiting longer to, to meet and get, keep getting after it. And it seems like every meeting, the time in between is getting shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. They realize what's on the table here. They realize they're running out of time and they're on the clock because money, a lot of money's on the line and uh, nobody likes to lose money. Yeah. And just because you can't have an official spring <clears throat> training doesn't mean that players aren't going and throwing bullpen sessions with their catchers. It doesn't mean that they're not getting their yeah. work in. They can go scrimmage if they want to hell, you know, they just can't, they just can't do it at the, at the complex. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, shit, we should set something up. I, I more feel bad for the players that uh, need to get in rehab and like trying to yeah. get ready for the season that, you know, like Jamison Tyone, like he's coming off an ankle surgery, like this and that, like trying to where he, he should be ready for opening day, but is he going to be? And is the team going to trust it not being, under their supervision and it's just there's a lot of blurred lines right now for guys that are rehabbing i hate that yeah can i ask you this so my dad and i were discussing this the other day you've seen the movie the replacements right where mm-hmm. there was the lockout between the nfl players and uh the league then they essentially they never got a deal done so they went and got all these replacement players and we're kind of approaching in a similar direction as is and we're kind of on a, a similar pathway right now hypothetically we're talking about it. If we did have that exact same situation happen where major league baseball owners and the MLBPA could not come up with a deal and MLB owners all of a sudden told and offered the minor league players. And they said, Hey, you guys want to come play for the big league squad. We don't have a deal done and we want to make some money. We want to play some ball games. Would you be willing to do that? Do you think minor league players would entertain that? Uh, Some, not as many as you would think, because if they do agree to that, they can never be represented by the MLBPA right. after that. Yes. So they would pretty much forfeit the rights to the rest of their career. So unless it was guys who are like career minor, career double A, maybe triple yeah. A replacement guys are never going to get a chance to play in the big leagues. Then guys are going to say no, because they don't, they don't want to give up the rest of their career and not have a chance to play in the big leagues and be represented by the, by the union. Yeah. Adley Rushman saying thanks, but no thanks basically, but you're, Single A, long you know, long time single A guy that's just kind of making twenty thousand dollars a year. He's going to say, put on a big league uni, yeah, make some extra money for your family." Yeah, there's going to be a lot of guys in that case, uh, but the the base the the product's not going to be very good because most your prospects aren't going to do it. Not mm-hmm. one of them. If they have an agent with a decent head on their shoulders, not even decent, just a head on their shoulders, yeah, knows the answer. I've wanted to do this episode for a while. I've always kind of to uh, wanted to dive into your career a little bit more because we talk baseball so often, but rarely do we actually get to talk about your career. I know we talked about 
Ortiz when he got into the right. Hall of Fame and you were his locker mate and you're one of his good friends. And, and that's awesome. But we don't really get to dive into the, your stories and your experience. Frankly, with no baseball news happening, that warrants us and allows us to do so. So I'm actually kind of pumped to dive into your A lot of this stuff is more. buried in the backyard and, you know, I, I haven't dug it up in three years. So I'll see what I can remember. I blacked a lot of it out. <laughs> Pete Abraham, right? Pete Abraham for the Boston Globe gave you a pretty sweet stat. And I don't want to steal it from you, so I'll, I'll let you say it. Yeah, okay. So he texted me today because he is he was digging deep on Andy Pettit um, and his Hall of Fame case because he only got like 10.5% of the votes, and he thought he, he should have got a lot more. Um, but he was looking at hitters versus Pettit. And for some reason, he looked me up. And I was four for seven off Pettit, which was pretty good with a homer. And um, – then he started looking into my stats. He went down this deep rabbit hole it's, uh, with me for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess he's just a buddy. But, but apparently I was 14 for 37, which is a 378 batting average against all the pitchers that were on the ballot this year. Take it how you want it. I think maybe I just faced too many shitty pitchers and, or I'd be <laughs> a lot better. I don't know. It, I, I, I tell people, guys at the end of their career, like if they're near death, I'm going to get them. Whether it was Zito, Oswalt, Mariano, I got at the end, Pettit the day before that. Who else? I don't know. Your stats in front of me if you want to know. You want to know something very strange? Strange? Yeah. So the hitter, excuse me, the pitchers that you dominated. I'm just going off OPS, your highest OPS against opposing pitchers. So you have at the top of the list right now, you have Andy Pettit. He had a career 1571 OPS off him. After that, James Shields, Tommy Hunter, R.A. Dickey, Madison Bumgarner, David Price, and then Mark Burley right after that. You dominated like good borderline, maybe not Hall of Fame, but all-star pitchers. Ballot. I mean, yeah. for some reason, when, when there was a big name on the mound, I locked it in a little extra. Here's, what's weird. Here's what's weird about it, though. You know who you struggled against? I like know you Jeremy, know one. Jeremy Hellickson. Right. Jeremy, the hell, you struggled against a Jeremy Hellickson. Dude, you know why? Because when I came in the league in 2012, righties didn't throw righties change-ups. Yeah. And he was in Tampa with James Shields, who I obviously hit well for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but he learned the right on right. He called it girl on girl change-up. And um, I couldn't hit it. And it, it wasn't just – it was more just him. The way he threw such a good – I call it a parachute ball. Mm-hmm. He could literally stand on the mound and go, hey, Brooksy. So when you change up, bud, and I would corkscrew, I couldn't hit it, dude. It's like he could just lob it up there, and I couldn't hit it. He threw a fastball, I could hit it, but I was playing against some. I want to say he was he was with the Diamondbacks, and I was in San Diego, mm-hmm. and he threw me a, a curveball. He never threw me a curveball, and he threw it. And I saw it pop out of his hand. I was like, oh my god, this is my one chance. And I hit a ball, and I crushed it to left center. Now at nighttime in San Diego, that marine layer sets in, and the ball goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, he spun me a breaking ball and I caught it like off the end of the bat, but still like really good. I'm like, I got him. I finally got Jeremy Hellickson. It hit the wall. I didn't get out, but I got a double off it. But um, he looked, he kind of looked at me on second base and I was like, thank you for not throwing me a changeup. Cause I was either going to fire a fastball, like in our dugout on the right, on the first base side mm-hmm. or swing like twice and like spin around in a circle. If it was a changeup, there was like, no, I could not time him at all. Do you remember a man named Jason Vargas who you went 0 for 8 against with six strikeouts? Yes. And one of the times I faced him, was it the Dodgers? Was it the Dodgers? 
Vargas kind of floated around the league. I mean, he was with the Mets for a while. Yeah, I'm trying um, to remember where I faced Royals. Him. Let me look. I, th- I thought I remembered facing him in L.A., but it, I'm probably thinking someone else. No, that was Chris Capuano. So he was with the Angels in 2013. Okay, so maybe. Anyway, yeah, Before I don't that, really remember. Seattle. Yeah, I don't, I don't really remember facing him, but I do remember him having a really good changeup. So, okay, that's what I, that kind of led me to my, my next question. Because the other guys he struggled against, very similar styles. Ricky Nolasco, really good changeup. Felix Hernandez, <laughs> nasty changeup. You want 0 for 7 against Felix, 0 for 8 against Nolasco. Dallas Keuchel, you want 0 for 7 against. I don't mean to shit on your career. I'm just – No, no, no. This is fun to dig up. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, After stats, these are – I mean, these are good pitchers. Yeah. Yeah, really good pitchers. But all these – it's kind of a, a broken record. Like, all these guys had a really good changeup. And did you ever get a scouting report on yourself on like things that you needed to work on or where your holes were? I'm curious if you know, cause I'm just um, looking at your I, I've talked to guys about this. Like they knew not to throw me a fastball. Like I, yes. Yeah. I, I could, I could, if you threw 104, I could get to it. Um, but mm-hmm. I would get to a point where I would, I would be dead red and like hell bent on not getting beat by a fastball. And the hard slider and good changeup would just get me. And I was okay letting it get me, especially before two strikes. But a lot of times that hand-eye good, like good hand-eye coordination takes over. And instead of just swinging through it, you still try to hit it. And that's like weak ground ball and you're just out. But later in my career, I started to figure out like just swing through and just mm-hmm. get to the next pitch. And it's not as easy as if, you know, hitting coach says, look, Brooks, you're struggling with the changeup. Figure it out. It's not. It's yeah, not it's not easy. like you're going to – I wasn't good enough to go sit changeup. Right. Right, because then you have no chance to get like I was a fastball hitter. I was, and if I sat breaking ball, I was a good breaking ball like hitter. But I was always on the fastball, and that's something I learned early in my career. Not that it, you know, made my career take off or anything. But Big Poppy used to always tell me, "I don't care what you're thinking at the plate, what your approach is, this and that. Always be on time for the fastball. Mm-hmm. Always." He's like, "Got those 94? You set your your little internal timer to 95." Like mm-hmm. your little knob, you said it's a 95. Well, tick below you or tick above it. You just always got to be on time for the fastball, and you can't sit off speed and react to 97. It's just it's simple baseball. You you can't you can't speed yourself up. Now you can try to slow yourself down and foul it off or do whatever you got to do. Easier said than done, but it's just better to go about it that way. So I took it a little too far, just being ready for fastballs because the later I got in my career, the harder and harder guy I started to throw. Yeah. Um, and then it just, I mean, that's just who I was. I wasn't going to get beat by the fastball. Yeah. I'm just looking at your fan grass splits and it, it's no secret. Like the longer your career went on, more and more changeups started coming your way. Guys actually, well, guys started throwing it more around the it, league, not just yeah. to me, but to everyone. You, you um, hit 149 against a changeup. But if you would have, if everybody just give you cutters, you would have been a halt first, you know, first bell halt. You hit 402 off cutters. No wonder you were so I good love, against Mariano I love when guys had cutters. You know why? Because when you're a dead red fastball hitter, sometimes you get pull happy because you're like, I got to get the head out, got to get the head out. But when I know a guy has a good cutter, it forces me to stay on the ball longer, right? Yeah. So now I'll, it keeps me through the ball, through the middle of the field. I got to think right center, and it keeps my body square where I need to be to the big part of the field. If you're thinking I'll got those 97 with sink, you're flying, like trying to get the head out and you're susceptible to step away, soft away. So cutters help me stay on the ball better. And it just made me a better hitter. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
you hit really good against splitters. You hit 318 in your career, but you struggled against changeups. Is that because of spin? I'm guessing because you were able to recognize that a splitter. I, a splitter I was able to recognize like out of the hand. So it was okay. the guys that had like the good four, like if they had a, they're, they're the best changeups in the game are the ones that the spin looks just like their fastball. So like Jeremy Hellickson threw a four-seam fastball. It still had a little run to it, but his changeup also was four-seam. So out of the hand, you don't see a guy's hand like this. You just see the ball come out, like, you know, quick. And I his spin, I'd pick up spin. It's like four-seam spin. It just – I'd swing it and be a foot from my bat instead of where it was supposed to be. Um, but splits, yeah, you could pick up – it was almost like a, a circle or it almost wobbled sometimes, you know, when yeah. splits would come out. So I could see those better. Yeah, that's – even I know we joke about my career, but that's what a lot of pitching coaches told me is a splitter is a great pitch, but it's easily recognizable out of the hand just because it is. if you throw it hard, it's good because it just dives and you don't have the harder it is, the less time you have to recognize spin. You know who else you hit really well against? Mm, give me a hint. Another you hit well against the Yankees. You kind of raked off the Yankees. You realize that. I, I love the rivalry, and it's just like that little extra bit of like. There's a, okay, there, there's a couple of Yankees on here on this list. So, CC Sabathia. Yeah. You were. I didn't clip him, but I, I hit him hard a couple of times. I, oh, I did hit him. I did take him deep in uh, Finn White, a right center, actually. Yeah. You that took was him a Sunday deep. night game. That was a Sunday night game on ESPN. He'll, he also walked you twice, so CC's scared of you, apparently. For some reason, and I saw his change up decent for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, that's another. That's true. That's another changeup guy. He had a really good, but he was also a cutter guy. But you raked off cutter. Yeah, but he was a lefty. His cutter came into me. True. Uh, so a lot of lefty changeups, most lefty changeups have side spin. Mm -hmm. Right. It was the right on right ones that would be straight change, like behind it, flat spin, straight over the top spin. Lefties would try to turn it over so it would run away from me. Mm -hmm. And I could pick up that spin better because it was side spin instead of fastball spin. We in Chin, you raked off mm -hmm. him as well. But he was an Oriole, not a Yankee. Yeah, he was an Oriole. There was a Bruce Chin. Remember Bruce Chin? He pitched for, he was a lefty, pitched for the Royals. Mm -hmm. I took him deep one night, too. That was another Chin. Did you ever meet Jeter? Yeah. He did? Yeah. He has, you know, actually, a actually, guy. He brought up Sabathia. The first time I faced Sabathia, we're in New York, uh, rainy day. It was a day game. I had, I had a rocket. RBI double to left center, mm -hmm. get to second base, and Jeter just walks over. He's like, nice swing, kid. It did, I, what all did he say? I don't know. He was just like, you look good. Like, you look like you love the game. Like, just keep it up. You know, I'm pulling yeah. for you. You know, something like that. He's just, he's so yeah. pro. He was just so pro. That's why it's like hanging in my, in my, in my main cave, my office. You know, it's, yeah. Everybody, all the Sox fans are like, why do you have that on your wall? I'm mm -hmm. like, because they transcend any rivalry. Mm -hmm. They're legends of the game. That's why they're on my wall. Why isn't A-Rod on your wall? I don't know. <laughs> Did you meet A-Rod? Yeah, I met A-Rod. Talked to A-Rod a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I just didn't have room for three jerseys in there. I okay. figured they were a little above A-Rod. So. so I watched – the reason I asked is because I just finally watched – it's like a five-year-old documentary on Netflix. I believe it's called Screwball, and it was essentially about the uh, steroid case with A-Rod and – everything that he did. And my biggest takeaway was this. It's no wonder why players don't respect A-Rod. When his name was on that list, he essentially had the names on the list, and he was the first guy to get called out that was on this list of people using PEDs from Miami, Florida. 
he had that list. And according to this documentary, A-Rod decided to expose those names because he felt like it would take a lot of the heat off of him. And I, I remember a lot of these stories, because, but at the same time, it was 2013. I was a junior in high school, I think it was. And so when I watched this documentary and I realized just how A-Rod reacted to everything that was thrown his way, it's no wonder why. Like, I can't speak for all players, but I think I, it rubbed a lot of It rubbed is, a lot of people, especially yeah. veterans at the time, the, the wrong way. Francisco Cervelli was his teammate. This dude's making $400,000 a year. Francisco Cervelli was on this list. And I'm not saying that Cervelli shouldn't have gotten suspended and, and uh, called out. Yeah, but like, people. how do you walk in the clubhouse and like, sorry, bud. Your you own know? your own fucking teammate calls you out like that. And, and by the way, A-Rod, who's making, he's, are you, uh, I believe, behind Trout as the highest paid player. I mean, he had already made the, the $252 million. Right. right. And you're going to call out a guy making $400,000 trying to just scrape by for a career. And Cervelli ended up having a nice career, but. Yeah. Cervelli was one of those guys you hated playing against, but you loved him. He, he was your teammate. Yeah. He was just annoyingly active and loud and talking to you and screaming at the umpires and just on the go on the move all the time and it's just like it's annoying and, the, and like not in a bad way but you just you hated playing against him because he was just like a dirt dog you know like he was always in the mix you know always ready to fight and always got a big knock he just that was like cocky yeah you know? it's tough Good that play. leads that leads me to our q a session oh boy excited get ready son because i have no idea just get into i don't know what to expect either so we'll yeah see. this is not an interview this is interrogation so strap it on my friend strap it on thank you to all those that responded on our social handles too we asked for your <laughs> q and a's or i should say q's we're about to provide those a's uh, we asked for your questions and we got a lot of responses please if you haven't already uh, submit a review on apple Podcasts. that's how we are able to churn out content for you guys so if you haven't already um write us a review give us that five stars give us that one star because we know brooksy isn't very good at this whole podcast thing so be honest about it <laughs> my first question i have for you this does not come from one of our followers or one of our responses you said francisco cervelli is a guy that you love to have on your team but you kind of hate to play against because of the competitor that he is and the leader that he is but who's the one player you hated just facing other than jeremy hellickson of course who's the one player that you just really got under your skin Ooh. other than alan craig too because he's obviously up there from the whole 2013 incident he didn't get he went over me not under my skin <laughs> um Good point. if not player it. team well i mean there's always something about the yankees i hated just because mm -hmm. i took a lot of pride in that red sox uniform so um i was trying to think I mean, I hated facing Max Scherzer, man. Yeah. Just, it wasn't because I didn't like him. It was because he was so damn good. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think if they're. While you, while you chew on that, can I, can I follow that up with another question? Because I, I know I, I brought up. I didn't really like Verlander. You didn't like him as a person or as I a I didn't know him as a person. No, no, no. Yeah. That was just another guy like, like Cervelli who was just like, just had that cockiness about him that I just yeah. didn't like. Mm-hmm. The Joe Burrow and, arrogance. Yeah, and he was just so good. And he was just really good. I mean, he backed it up. I mean, so it wasn't it wasn't personal. It was just, I don't know, just that cockiness out there. And, like, just he knew how good he was. Scherzer, same way. Yeah, I, I would say just Verlander and Scherzer were two guys that, like, they're on the mound. I would just, like, go into the game pissed off. <laughs> 
I mentioned a rod earlier that I, I was remiss to not ask you this. Were you part of the game where Ryan Dempster intentionally hit Alex Rodriguez? Yes. Were you on that? You were on that team. Right? I was playing third base. If you watch the video on YouTube, you kind of see me scoot in at the end of it. Just kind of like, did you know that was like, coming? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. I, I, mean, I, have to, I have to ask though. I, you can respond accordingly, but was that I mean, Dempster, as a Demp, Dempster would say the same thing. He, he dotted him. He missed him the first couple times. Right. I can't remember. He moved his feet, made him dance a little bit. What was that? I can't remember if Dempster actually got suspended for it. He had to have, I'm guessing. He got fined. I don't think he got suspended. Yeah, he didn't get suspended. I think he just got a little fine. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that was kind of like, hmm, yeah, we get it. Yeah. I mean, um, hey, that was part of that. Coming. Girardi came out and went berserk. You can watch the YouTube video. It's pretty funny. You'll see me like scoot in at the end, like me and Pedroia, like behind the mound, just like, let's watch this. Like, we got our popcorn <laughs> ready, right? And then A Rod A-Rod comes up like the next inning, and or the next time he comes up a couple innings later and goes bridge, like deep center, like way gone. Mm-hmm. And he's like, wow, like, you know, he does, he does like big poppies thing when he hits home plate. It was pretty petty, but I mean, if guy hit you on purpose. I guess you have the right to do it, but it just added to the rivalry, especially I never played in old Yankee stadium, but I heard the old Yankee stadium was better because the stands were like on top of you. Right. Like it was built and it was older and it just kind of built on top of you like that. And the new one's huge and laid out bigger. Um, so it's not as intimate, but at Fenway, when we play the Yankees, it's just different. And you got your home crowd, MF in the Yankees, boo in the Yankees, Channing steroids, steroids, right. you know, when he's up. And then Dempster throws, you know, makes him dance one time, like throws behind his legs another time, up and in. And you can just feel it building in the crowd. Like the like that buzz is just like getting louder and louder and louder. And then <laughs> drills them and the place erupts, right? <laughs> like this isn't a place that holds like 80,000 people like Dodger Stadium. It holds like 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. It's an old stadium. No, so not even whole 50, it holds like 37. Yeah. 37,000, something like that. And I mean, this place is going nuts. And they're, I mean, you look at it, it's like pure joy in the stands from these Bostonians because they knew he punked them on purpose. He missed them a couple of times and kept going at them. But um, just the competitive nature of that game uh, with A-Rock coming back up and then taking them deep. Obviously, I wasn't happy he took them deep, but like just watching it all unfold, it was pretty fun to be a part of. Yeah, for context, A-Rod got popped for steroids, PEDs. In the yeah. very first game he has to play in uniform, it was kind of his own fault. He could have just taken the suspension and gone on his way, but he decided to fight it, and he decided to have a hearing with Rob Manfred at Major League Baseball and said, mm-hmm. I should never serve a game, which he ended up serving more than just a game. He ended up serving the entire season right. uh, for a suspension. But his first game back, Fenway Park against the Red Sox, biggest rivalry in baseball, biggest rivalry in sports. Like, what are the odds of that? What, yeah, what that may have been talked about in the clubhouse before. Yeah. May have, may may not have. I, don't know. I warned you, this is not an interview. This is an interrogation. Not really. I didn't do steroids. <laughs> All right, let's, let's head to our replies here. Yeah, clearly. Um, Jonathan Weaver, he asked, who, what was your favorite minor in Major League City slash ballpark? How close were you? Well, he has a couple. Answer that one first, and I'll get to his second part. Um, whew, that's tough. There's a lot. Um, other than Fenway Park, which I, that's a biased answer, um, I love playing at Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Just the, his, the history there, um, a ton of people. You go on like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. Friday and Saturday mm-hmm. is like 
packed. And it's like they have like six levels. It's like goes on forever in the sky. Yeah. Um, you know, Vince Gully was around. You're playing against like Jimmy Rollins, just studs. You're playing against studs in front of a packed house. You're on deck. There's like Kobe Bryant. There's actors, there's actresses like Adam Sandler, like all these guys. You're on deck. Like holy shit. Oh shit, I'm up. I gotta go hit. Yeah. You know, you know. Um, so just like it was a show. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a a baseball, just a baseball game. It was a full on show. There, okay. The I have a question for you then. Most famous contact you have in your phone? I mean, Poppy's obviously up there. I say Poppy's good. I don't know. That, did you ever like? Did, did you ever cross paths with actors, celebrities? Uh, Ronnie was Wahlberg. That? I was just gonna say Wahlberg and uh, who's the other Boston guy? Uh, big time actor. Affleck. Uh, Affleck. Ben Affleck. I don't know Affleck. Wahlberg. Donnie Wahlberg was around him a little bit. Oh, Donnie Wahlberg. Not even Mark Wahlberg. No, Donnie. That was disappointing. You said Wahlberg, and I automatically assume Mark. Yeah, not not Mark. My um, respect level for you just went down. It's fine. It was never that high, anyways. Um, I don't know. Let me scroll. Okay. To edit this. For the record, you are the most famous celebrity I have in mind. So. I don't even know if you can consider me a celebrity. Local. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. I mean, it's all. Oh ton of baseball players but that's not true i have sources can't reveal them we all have sources i don't know that's a tough question i i didn't like i said i didn't have any time to prep for this so it's not like i was able to like look through i'm have millions you name you meet, a baseball oh, i got one i got one this is very timely with the retirement did you ever meet tom brady yeah once so my best friend from childhood was ryan mallet who backed him up for a few years yeah arkansas so raising back so i i was around him a few times Mm-hmm. But I really only like talked to him like once. Okay. But Gis- Giselle was with him. It was like after a game in the family room, and she's like talking to Gis- Giselle, and the kids are running around. Gis- Giselle's like rolling around on the floor, just like a regular mom, you know. Right. And then Tom walks in, and I'm like, I can't talk. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, he was just cool dude. I'm still looking through my contact. I'm just like scrolling. No, there's a lot of people that. Like, it's kind of like this reality thing. Whenever they meet their celebrities, it's like, oh, they're just real people. That's what I went to a golf celebrity tournament in Tahoe one year, and I got to meet from actors to coaches to players, you know, like everyone from Reggie Bush to Chris Weber to Rob Riggle, Charles Woodson. They used my first big time interview with Charles Woodson. And that's something you realize really quickly in this business. It's like, dude, they really are just people. And I, I, I know that's very cliche to say, even just meeting you. I mean, now we're friends now, but upon first, you know, messaging you and, and getting in contact with you, it's like you're a World Series winner. You work for CBS Sports HQ, and I know you kind of laugh at it, but you're in its own sense kind of a celebrity. And so when I got to meet you and meet your family, meet your wife, kids, and everyone like that, it's, you realize very quickly these guys are just people. Well, people, man, I had a cool job for a while. I mean, I still do have a cool job, but yeah, I mean, without that, I'm nobody so it was just really the job that made me popular at the time i guess I yeah that know. ring helps too yeah it does if it helps in boston nice, you wear it yeah. around you don't pay for anything it's nice yeah that's right <laughs> next question ryan carvella by the way jonathan weaver you asked how close were you oh, going wait. to i wait what would you say i never gave you a minor league one. Oh, you didn't but before Dodgers, while, Dodgers while you on that though he asked how close were you to signing to Texas A&M. I will answer that for you. We answered that on a prior podcast, so we're not going to answer it, Jonathan. you got to go look through our podcast. Jonathan's from my hometown. 
you find it for yourself, Jonathan. Jonathan's from my hometown, and now he's like the executive, like, or associate producer for College Game Day for ESPN. Oh, well, I should be nice to Jonathan. Yeah, you should clean it up. I'll send you the uh, time code and everything. <laughs> so he went to my rival high school uh, in, in, in high school uh, in Texarkana, Texas. I went to Liberty Ilo. He went to Pleasant Grove, Cross City mm-hmm. Rivals. And we grew up playing against each other. He's a good dude. I'm trying to think of a minor league city. Hold on. Minor I league know your city. least favorite. Your least favorite was that Jersey one. Oh, Jersey. You had gone to a hotel after the game and somebody oh, walked in with Trenton. a gun. Trenton. Trenton. Yeah, the stadium was fine. It was just a sketchy downtown area. Trenton, New Jersey. Yeah. Um, I mean, the worst minor league place was uh, in Burlington, Vermont. The Vermont Lake Monsters. I think they're still there, but they mm-hmm. fixed it up. We couldn't even shower there. It was so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had my first professional home run there. They were at the time... I think they were the national short season. I was in Lowell, Massachusetts, which was short season for the Sox. Mm-hmm. Um, that was definitely my least favorite was Vermont, the locker rooms. So it was like the baseball field and back behind it was a field hockey stadium for mm-hmm. Vermont for the college. And uh, we you had to walk down a road like back behind way like 600 feet from home plate probably uh, to the field hockey locker room. But it was like moldy and gross. The showers were like spitting out like brown water. So we just had to like shower at the hotel. Gross. So, so be- best minor league though, South other than Carolina my home stadiums, Altoona. It was the Pirates double A. Altoona, I think it's Pennsylvania. It was a Pirates double A. It was mm-hmm. awesome. It had like, there's like an amusement park right behind it. So it's like roller coasters and stuff behind the fence. I think that that ballpark is actually an MLB The Show. That's the it extent is. of it my is. knowledge of, of this yeah. ballpark. Coney Island was cool, too. Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, the Brooklyn that one, Cyclones. That got was a flooded mess. last year. Yeah. That was a cool place. All right, next one. Sorry. Ryan Carvalho. Will the Cow... <laughs> he knows his... Uh, you know, He knows his audience. Will the Cowboys win a Super Bowl with Dak under center? We're getting football questions, man. Yeah. Um, I, think they have the, I, I think they have the talent, too. I think um, hopefully Kellen Moore doesn't leave their OC because I really like him. Dan I don't Quinn's know if I love back. McCarthy at the head coach. I feel like he makes some dumb decisions. Sean I don't Payton. hate him, though. I don't hate him. I, I think they need to fix their offensive line because they have receivers. Mm-hmm. Um, they have running backs. They have two really good running backs. Um, I think their offensive line let them down a lot, and it made us look at Zeke. It made us look at, at Dak and say, oh, they, they're, not, they're not having good years. Dak's not as mobile, number one, because of his ankle. Mm-hmm. He can still run, but not the same. But he he didn't have that extra split second in the pocket. He forced a lot of passes, and he got he was under pressure a lot. So I feel so I was I, I dug into the stats too. They were like the seventh or eighth best run blocking team, and twenty seventh when it came to protecting the quarterback. Mm-hmm. So he so just it's not have, Dak's fault. Yeah, I don't think it's Dak's fault. And then they have the tools. Uh, so yes, I do think they can. I, I really Prescott. do. I think they need to they need to draft a couple linemen, make some get their get their offensive line right again because they had a really good offensive line, but all those guys are getting old. They lost Frederick, their their center, um, to that sin. I forgot what syndrome he had, but he had to retire. They lost like three guys, and then a couple other guys are getting old. So they have to figure out their offensive line, and then I think those skilled guys will take off. Yeah, he's no Derek Carr, but top three most random talents from players you. Played with, that's kind of extensive. Um, did anybody a have a lot of musicians? Like, 
Yeah, I was just going to say like secret talents. Let's kind of rephrase it that way. I know Jake Peavy was a hell of a guitar player. He said he could sing. Buckholtz could play guitar. He couldn't sing for shit, but he could he could uh, he could he could pick it. Um, hidden talent. That question came from Joe Franks, by the way. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate your support, Joey. I know Joe as well, by the way. Oh, these Joe are all your my buddies. Joe won my fantasy league this year. So really, so, these aren't questions from okay, fans. So my neighbor is a buddies. guy named Judd Koenig. Mm-hmm. Judd is uh he's an attorney. His business partner at his firm is Eli is Eli Frank, Joe's dad. And Joe won our Joe's a brilliant uh high school kid. Mm-hmm. He knows the inside out sports, knows the inside. I've done an interview with him before uh, about baseball and analytics and statistics, and he is a freaking genius yeah. for like a 14-year-old, 15-year-old kid. Um he, he tweets stuff you think it's like a grown man working in an analytical office for, <laughs> for a team. He's really smart. So I think he said he wanted to be a GM one day, and I think he just might be. He's a real-life Jonah Hill from Moneyball, basically. Yeah, he's so brilliant. He's, he's awesome. Um, what was the question? <laughs> uh, it was what, like uh, he said oh, random oh, talents, talents, so like secret talents. Do you have a secret talent? Secret? Uh, it's not golf. I know that. Shit. <laughs> I would bury you on a golf course. It's not good looks either. We know that. Nice. I got that one. You remind me of like girls in like second, third grade when they flirt with you. They just like make fun of you. I think you're flirting. Anyways. <laughs> trying to think of teammates like hidden talents. I don't know. We'll come back to that. That's a tough one. A lot of musicians. I'm trying to think. I like, I like this question. Maddie P. Toughest teammate to face in batting practice slash scrimmages in her squads. Like a live BP? I think that's Ooh. what he's referring to. Yeah. You know I mean, who was the guy that was tough to face? Daniel Bard. Yeah. That's, uh, Daniel Bard before he before he got the yips. Right. Uh, obviously, he's back now, which is an amazing story. He's a really good dude. Um, he was one of the nastiest guys I ever faced. And this was like I was a minor leaguer, and he would come down and pitch on the backfields. This is back when he was, like, one of the best setup guys in the game, 2010, 2011. Uh, he would come down, and I was a minor leaguer. I remember one time he ear-holed me so hard, bro. Mm-hmm. He threw me – he was telling – I remember, like, hearing him talking to the catcher beforehand, and I was, like, trying to get a sneak peek. And he's like, I'm working on my slider day, working on my slider. So I'm thinking, all right. He throws me three pitches in a row, slider, slider, slider. And I'm like, I heard him. He's just going to keep throwing sliders. He's working on it. This ball started, like – in off the plate and i'm like it's gonna break middle and i started to start my swing and it just ran up and in the ear hold me split my helmet bro split my helmet from ear hole to ear hole my helmet fell in half it cut me back behind my ear are you serious yeah i was fine i, mean, I think i am that's probably what's wrong with me now <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i, I can guarantee you're I not have this fine. weird twitch in my eye but other than that <laughs> um but yeah it like cracked my helmet i was uh i mean i was like an eight baller i was in 2010 i was in high a mm-hmm and I just remember thinking, this guy's so nasty. I'd face him several times, but then that time, after that, I was like, yeah, I don't want to really face this guy anymore. He might kill me. Need all the Xander Bogart stories from Jeff. I'm going to butcher this name. Jeff Zern? You have any Xander Bogart stories, Xander Bogart? Um, so, Bogey, Bogey came up at the end of 2013, uh, and then I played with him in 2014, and I was hurt a lot of 14. Mm-hmm. So, I really didn't spend a whole lot of time with him. I love Bogey. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, 
probably one of the most genuine, caring, loving people I ever was on a team with mm-hmm. and that I've ever really known. Like he's just a genuine person. Um, I think the coolest story I have is just his first career homer. It was in Yankee Stadium. You'll have to dig that up and throw it on here. But gotcha. it went over the bullpen and left center. To go up above that bullpen is like at least 440, 450 feet. And I just remember the whole, like, I was like getting water. I probably just like swung at a slider and struck out or something. I was getting water in the dugout and it sounded like a gun fired off though. It was just like, pow. Everybody was like, oh, and I look, and I just happened to look up right where the ball was. And I mean, this ball was obliterated and he got back to the dugout. This kid smiled for like two straight hours. He was so happy and it was in Yankee stadium. I don't remember who it was against. It doesn't matter. But um, that was just like, we're like, this kid is for real. He was wearing number 72. That was his rookie number. It was number 72. Um, Cause in Boston and in big organizations like that, you got to earn your, your good number. Mm-hmm. And he sure did. Do you remember just, yours? Did you get 64. a good number? 64. I actually have a nameplate over here for my – that was for my locker my rookie year. That's dope. It's cool, right? It says, like, mm-hmm. the 100-year – oh, wrong way. 100-year. Very yeah. cool. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, very cool. Best yeah. – this is from Baseball Quotes. Best piece of advice that a veteran or coach gave you during your career? Be yourself. Be yourself, man. You have so yeah, many man. influences – and voices, coaches, veterans, everybody coming at you with what they think you should do to better yourself. At the end of the day, be yourself. Mm-hmm. I think some of the, sometimes like I would get off a little bit. I would just be like, I, I would just, when I wouldn't feel good, I, I would be trying to emulate the veterans or like trying to be something I wasn't. Um, and I would just have to get back and remember those times that and it was Pedroia. Pedroia was always the one in my ear about, dude, just be yourself. And it wasn't just me. It was everyone. That was his main thing. Be you. Because if you're, you're if you're yourself, you're going to be uh, comfortable. You're, you're going to be happier. And we're going to get the most out of you. And really, <laughs> Petey was like, I don't give a shit if you're happy or not. I just want you to help us win. <laughs> you know, like, I just want you to play well. Uh, and I think what I, what I figured out is people play better when they're happy and they're themselves and they're not trying to be something they're not. So, um, that resonated with me and helped me out a lot. Yeah, I think in the pro ball environment, you have more freedom to be yourself. One thing you I do learned now, you do yeah. now. It wasn't like that, man. When I first came up, it was like, hey, watch the veterans, right. copy them, do what they do, eat what they eat, wear what they wear, mm-hmm. everything. And yeah. that's what I try to do. And then the later I got in my career, I was like, man, I, I really like lost some years, like just trying to be this veteran. Uh, trying to be perfect all the time because you're in Boston and you're, you're just, you're ridiculed for everything you do. Mm-hmm. Not only at that time, not only just by the media, but like by your teammates, by the veterans, um, because that's how the game was then is you really had to walk on eggshells if you were a young player. Mm-hmm. And um, I wish I had just been myself a little bit more. And I think I would have enjoyed my time even more than I did. When I first went to my first two colleges, it was San Diego state in the university of San Francisco. I finally ended up at a small NAI college one in Jessup. The first two colleges, mostly the University of San Francisco, it was very uptight. That's how Division I colleges typically are. You have a strict throwing program. You have a strict workout schedule. You have tasks daily. It's entitlement, man. These big programs think like their way or the highway. 
Exactly. And I really, really struggled. And I'm not saying it was all their fault, but uh, I, I take most of the blame there. But it was hard to get adjusted to a program that I wasn't necessarily suited for or wasn't necessarily best for me. Now, when I went to William Jessup, our new head coach was Jake McKinley. He's now head of uh, – he's a pitching coordinator for the Milwaukee Brewers. This guy knew his shit, and he also gave us the freedom to do what we wanted to do. He, he basically told us, I don't care what you do. I want you to have something, though. If it's driveline, do driveline. If it's band work, if it's weighted balls, whatever you want to do, just have a program for you. It wasn't but, cookie cutter. Exactly. Not everyone's the same. And so to your point, we can't try and shape and form every pitcher to be the same. So to your point, be yourself. If you have a weird arm slot, throw it. You know what I mean? Like be different, be yourself. That's one thing I learned. Michael Hayes, toughest transition post baseball career. Oh man. My first year after, so I got hurt in 2018 spring training with the Phillies. Broke my leg, dislocated my ankle, all that fun stuff. I sent you the picture a couple of days ago. Um, the hardest thing for me coming into spring training of 2019, when I had to say, I had to cut the cord and say, I, I can't play anymore because of nerve damage and uh, just not enough range of motion in my ankle to run fast enough. Um, that, that year after that was really, it was tough, man. Baseball was everything to me. Now I was married, uh, to Jenny and that was important to me, but, uh, and I, I'm trying to think the best way to word this. I mean, finding self-worth outside of and purpose outside of the one thing that gave me those things uh, for 12 years was really tough. Now, luckily, the day before I got hurt, we found out we were pregnant with Madison, my first, my first, my oldest child. Um, so I the knew I had before? that to look. Oh, the day before? The day before I got hurt, we found out we were pregnant. Oh, wow. It's crazy how shit the works irony. Out, right? Wow. Um, so I think being, uh, so October 10th of 2018, she was born. So that was like, I was still rehabbing, still trying to get back. Um, and then once I figured out, like, I can't play anymore. I had purpose though. I, you know, I was a father, I was a husband, but I think not having the hardest thing, I'm trying to answer the question. The hardest thing was not having not being able to be competitive on a daily basis was probably it because my entire life has been based around sports and being competitive and being a leader and winning and making myself better every day, working out and having something to work out for to get in better shape and get ready for a season or stay, you know, locked in during a season. And I didn't have that like competitive edge, right? I still had it in me. I just couldn't use it on anything. And so I turned to golf when I could. Right. Um, but still to this day, I get that itch to just be super competitive and I don't have anything to use it on. I'm not going to go play like rec league. I'm not going to go play like slow pitch softball and murder somebody. Like I'm not, you know, <laughs> like that's just not going to do it for me. I miss, should. I miss competing at the highest level mm-hmm. and nothing will ever replace that. That got deep. It did. Sorry. It started with you telling me that you sent that picture yesterday. It's real life. Hurt. I mean, it always gets me in my feels whenever I see that that photo of you getting injured. Nate Roy, best guess. This could be a quick one. Over under 20 and a half games missed due to the lockout. I'll go under. first and under. Yeah, I agree. Under. I say, if anything, it's like a week. This one, this question, really good question. It comes from a 
rather dashing and, and good looking, handsome young man at Danny Vitti asks, how are you so good at baseball yet? So terrible at golf. Great did question. What, did, you, did you see what I responded? No. Check your Twitter and read what I responded to you. <laughs> if that ratio actually lined up, I'd be on a ballot in two years yeah. in your dreams, my friend. Favorite no, teammate seriously. in Boston. Favorite if teammate I, in Boston. If, if, okay. Let me just say, if I could, if I, what, what I am as a golfer, if that considered sucking, and you think I was good as a baseball player, then I would have been a much better baseball player. No, you're a good golfer. I, I joke <laughs> and give you shit. The reason I give you shit is because I know you're good at it. Like you said, I'm yeah. like a second grade girl flirting with a. You still, you still said you put that on the tee for me, so I had to, I had to say that. Alex Kogan asks your favorite teammate in Boston. Oh man, I have so many favorite teammates. Can I be that guy? No, you can't. <sighs> See my rookie year. I mean, Pedroia is one of my all-time favorites. Mike Avilas. Do you remember Mike Avilas? Of course. He had the bat wiggle. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. He had kind of a Derek Jeter so batting I came up. Steroids. I came up 2012. I was just living in, like, the Courtyard Marriott, which is, like, the team hotel. Because um, I didn't know how long I'd be there. Yuke was hurt. I thought, like, maybe when he comes back, I'm going to go back to AAA. Mm -hmm. I ended up staying. And Mike Avilas, who had twin daughters who were, like, I don't know, 10 months old and a wife um he had an extra bedroom and he said just come live with me that's cool so i went and lived with him for the second half of my my rookie year um right there by fenway he had an apartment so he was a great dude he helped me out a lot uh Petroya, jbj jbj i didn't get to like play with for more than like a year year and a half mm -hmm. but he was just such a good dude he's been on the show i mean you you yeah. he just he's i got awesome. to see him in naples a couple of weeks ago and play golf with him and hang out and catch up uh, do you remember Mike Carp? First baseman. He, in, he played, came up in Seattle. Yeah. I do. Uh, and then he was on our 13 team in Boston. Great dude. Mm -hmm. Cali boy. He's from like the LA area. Hey, oh, um, yeah. Good dude. I'm Bogarts. I'm just going through teams now. Uh, in San Diego, one of my best friends in my entire life, Justin Upton. Yeah. He's also a, a guest on the show. Fan of the I show. I tend to bring all my buddies. Justin's one of my best friends ever and, and just life not even just baseball good person um with I, I would i didn't get super close with anybody in milwaukee texas when i was in triple a i had one of the most fun summers i ever had when i was in round rock mm -hmm. uh, we had a really veteran triple a team guys with a lot of time travis snyder you remember travis snyder lefty outfielder yep. so yeah blue jays, pirates, yeah pirates blue jays yeah uh he was my, my locker mate and someone i got super close with great dude uh, he just had a birthday yesterday, so happy birthday tonight. Um, and Preston Claiborne, he was a reliever with the Yankees for a little yeah, while. I remember him too. Uh, we played against each other a ton, but he was on that team. He's just like old cowboy, like wears Wranglers and boots every day, like a big belt buckle, drives an old Dodge Ram, um, seventh generation Texan, he'll tell you. Mm -hmm. um, just salt of the earth human being who, who now he's like a pitching coach in the Yankees organization in Tampa um in touch with him all the time he, he went and stayed at our cabin in georgia like a month ago mm -hmm. um philly let's see i ended i was only in philly with spring training but i guess to know some guys reese hoskins great guy great dude. uh you remember tommy joseph yeah of course he's a san francisco giant too actually yeah, yeah. tommy joseph somebody else i'm still in touch with a lot he raped um, honestly he did he kind of just fell out of a spot he's kind of the odd man out then he went to korea did pretty well and then uh, i think he's he's, he's done now yeah. But um, good career. He could hit. He could hit. But just I have I've been blessed and lucky to come across some of the coolest individuals in the game. 
Mm-hmm. And that's one of the good things about not being a stud is you get to go play in different organizations like every year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you get to meet new people and, and find and, and get to know more people. And I feel like I have so many connections from baseball that I'll always keep in touch with because they're just really special people. We're running short on time, so we'll roll through these last ones here. Do you remember batting in the World Series? This is from Matthew Corey. Do you remember batting in the World Series, and what was that like? Yeah. Um, man, I remember the the one thing – there's two at-bats that stand out to me. Um, Rosenthal, he was the closer for mm-hmm. for the for the Cardinals. That was back when he was, like, legit, legit. Gasolina. Yeah. And um, he threw me a 3-2 changeup, man. It struck me <laughs> out. Brutal. Yeah, there's a changeup again. But this is a guy that was throwing like 100, like 97 to 100, and he was pumping, pumping, pumping. I had like fouling, fouling balls off, spitting on good pitches, and he had thrown me two changeups before that. Mm-hmm. And I spit on both of them. So I get to 3-2, and I'm thinking, he's throwing me a heater here. Like, I, I saw his changeup well. I mean, this pitch couldn't have been more perfect. It started like middle end, thigh high, and just down and in, right? And I swung right over it. Good pitch. It was just yeah. a really good pitch, a ballsy pitch. And it was like a guy on base and he didn't even have a base open. So I was thinking, you know, if there's a base open, maybe he goes to something soft here mm-hmm. just because if he walks me, no big deal with two outs. But uh, yeah, he, he threw me changed nasty, nasty change up that he wouldn't, he didn't even throw that much at the time. Um, but scouting report, like we said. Right. Um, and then uh, Kevin Segrist, Segrist, lefty. That sounds right. Lefty that threw gas. Mm-hmm. I swung at a first pitch. I got middle in like 98 and I barreled it, dude. I'm talking, I was this close to hitting a home run in the world series. I barreled it, but I hit it freaking so high to like mm-hmm. left center. I think it was, oh, was it John Jay playing center field. I don't remember. It was John Jay caught it. But I mean, if, if I hit it like this much higher on the ball, it's a, it's a tater, right? Mm-hmm. It, that, that's just the game of centimeters with baseball. Is like the point of contact. And I, I hit that ball so good. It just felt so – I clicked it, but I just hit it under it. Um, those are the two that, like, stand out to me. Paul asks, who's your favorite professional sports team in Boston after the Red Sox? Um, well, we know I'm a diehard Cowboys fan, so yeah, it's I was not going to say. Yeah. I don't really follow basketball. My dad likes the Celtics. He grew up a Celtics fan. But I really enjoyed the Bruins games in person. Oh, yeah. I don't watch hockey like on TV. I don't enjoy it. It's not really, I grew up in Texas. We don't give a shit about hockey. Like, yeah. But going to games at the Garden, I went to like playoff games up there with the with the Bruins playing. That dude, that place is rocking. And they they they're diehard hockey. I mean, it's the Northeast, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the it would have to be the Bruins. Shout out Zidano Chara. Probably butchered that name. What's it like to know you're done? Uh, that, that was kind of already answered, but we'll kind of move through it. What's it like to know you're done playing baseball? You kind of answered that already. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like where I'm at in my my new career. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. So I'm kind of over like the whole sadness, like grieving my career type thing is what it is. I like I, I like being with my family. At Holiday Fan 32, very fitting question. What is it like facing Roy Holiday? Um, I didn't face him in a regular season game. I faced him in spring training. Mm-hmm. And phew, he was special. I, 2011 or 12, I don't remember. But I faced him in spring training, and he was – he had such late movement, and he's a really tall guy, so everything's downhill, right? So the fastball, like a decision point where you start your swing, it's middle of the plate. Like it's, everything he threw started in the middle of the plate and just went mm-hmm. – 
nothing finished in the middle nothing Nothing finished even in the heart of the plate even like i thought he had some of the best control he had like maddox like control with better stuff Mm -hmm. um but his fastball man that was his pitch is that that sinker that run sink fastball would start mid if if it started middle end it was a ball and it would it would hit you like if he started like inner hat like it could smoke your back leg it had so much late movement and once you start your swing you kind of lose sight of the movement. So it's like you see where the ball is middle in, you're expecting to hit it there, and then you hit it off the label, and you're like, Jesus, dude. Yeah, it's heavy. Hopefully, we will get a second coming of Roy Holiday because his son is currently playing. Uh, last I checked, he was transferring to Penn State. I want to say he was drafted by the Blue Jays either last year or yeah, two years ago, three years ago. But yeah. regardless, hopefully, we get a little bit of a taste of Roy Holiday. That pretty much does it for our Will Middlebrooks special episode. I, I, I'm going to know an uh, embarrassing story. Oh, that's true. Okay. We have time. So, the floor is yours. Okay. So, forgot about the, that one. We, we know about the obstruction call. I don't really think that's embarrassing. It was just a crazy play. So, right. most people think that's what I would go to. This is one only like four people probably know, and now thousands of people get to find out. This would be a lot more embarrassing if people actually knew about it. Mm-hmm. So, here you go. I'm over it now. We're playing in San Diego against the Cubs. Um, Kyle Hendricks on the mound, who we know has a very good sinking fastball, as we just talked about. He had really good run sink on it. Um, I run the count to like 2-2 or 3-2, you know, and he had thrown me a ton of cutter slider things, a ton of them. He'd, even, he'd front doored a couple of them because he could do it on either side of the plate. Um, and, it, and he beat me with it a couple times in, in previous at-bats. And uh, he threw it to me 2-2 and 3-2 in my previous at-bats, a front door cutter. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he ain't getting me again with this. So I'm up there in my third at-bat against him, gets a 2-2 or 3-2, I can't remember. And I'm like, he's going to throw that, that front hip cutter at me again, and I'm going to crush him. Here comes the ball. I see it start, like, inner corner. I go to swing, and it's not a cutter, right? It's it's a sinker, and it's running up and in. It's not, It's like probably eight inches off the plate, and it's running up and in on me. So I hit a foul ball, but the runs it had run so far in on me that it missed my pine tar completely. And I actually hit the foul ball off my finger. It like went off my fist. Like you hear, oh, you got fisted. Yeah. Like I literally hit the ball off my fist. It hurts. My so thumbs. Bad. My Dude. thumbs. Dude, it hurts so bad. It hurts so bad. And I had to hide it. And it was a foul ball. So I was just like, like knocked the dirt off my cleats. I'm in my head. I'm like, God damn it, that hurts so bad. Like I was like redline. Like I was scared to look down because I thought my fingers were like the guy from like scary movie. You know, mm-hmm. like my I thought my fingers just like all shattered. It crushed two of my fingers, and I ended up grounding out next pitch. I don't know how to throw the bat in the stands. I I couldn't tell anybody that it was hurt, and I was so worried. My I had to go out, and it was my right hand too. I was gonna have to go out there and like throw the ball. I got out there, it kind of wore off and I was fine, but my fingers, two fingers were so swollen, like for like a week. I, I guess it was just bruised, obviously, but I felt a ball off my hand. It was so b- bad of a swing. I just couldn't tell anybody that because it was really embarrassing. That's there brutal. Yeah. I had one career at bat in college and I struck out. So there's that. We will do an episode on my career. It will last five minutes. We will do that someday. I, I can guarantee it. Uh, by the way, we have Wake and Rake podcast gear coming your direction. Yes, I love that logo. Me too. The shirts are pretty dope, if I do say so myself. Twenty dollars. Gotta go Thailand on the shirts. Mm-hmm. Twenty bucks for a shirt. Twenty bucks for a shirt. Twenty-five dollars for a hat. 
If you would like to buy one, slide in our DMs on Twitter. Uh, we'll send you the form to fill out, and we'll have waiting right here. All right, folks, this is fun, buddy. We'll do it again sometime soon. Hopefully, we have some baseball content coming your way. Bye.